Hello, Dr. Will. Hello. Hello there, my friend, Rick. This is our Merry Christmas. This is a Merry Christmas edition. It is. That's right. Merry Christmas. I've been um, learning stuff this week by by looking up some of these Christmas facts uh, to share on on the radio. And one that I found really interesting is about the actual St. Nicholas, a fourth century bishop, right? And, and he had a large inheritance, which he gave to the poor. And he also used to um, get women out of servitude. Oh, um, that, was a, that was an unhelpful pause. He used to get women out of servitude. Well, he used his money to get women. Uh, it's the age old story. <laughs> No, he used his, his money to get women out of servitude and to give to the poor. And I thought, so there's some more of the real meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. That's right. I had, I guess I had heard obliquely that, uh, yeah, he, he was a person who was renowned for giving and serving and, and loving. And so, uh, so the, he has authentic chops to become Santa Claus in our culture. Yeah. And uh, his name, right, Sinterklaas in Dutch. Um, so it's, you know, that morphed into, into Santa Claus. And uh, there's also a legend that he wanted to help out a family that had three daughters, but not enough money for them to have dowries. Huh. Of course, they, they had to have a dowry. And so to help them without just handing it over and humiliating them with that, he dropped gold coins down their chimney. And there was a sock hanging uh, by the fire to dry and some coins ended up in there. And that is the legend of, you know, we, I don't, I have, I don't have confirmation. That's the legend of what started the hanging up the stocking thing, which what an it's awesome a great story. thing. They weren't uh, drying any underwear. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> they would have taken the coins anyway, but we'd but, be loading up the fruit of the looms and leave them behind for Santa. Your, your research and uh, and now renewed expertise is uh, interesting and a throwback to, was it in the twenties when the newspaper reporter put on the front of the New York paper the night before Christmas and wrote that story and uh, it just captures that all the way. Right, and Santa with with fat belly and and red clothing and stuff is a, from Coca Cola, a Swedish oh. a, sw- a Swedish illustrator they hired to do commercials drew Santa that way. And that that became the sort of Western notion of Santa. Before that, he wore green and blue. And he was kind of a, a little weaselly looking guy that was sneaking in and out of your house to do stuff. And of course, they, they have some of those European traditions about like Black Peter and stuff where they, you know, cut off the fingers of kids that are bad and stuff they were just really doubling down on the pre Christmas threat thing. My God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that's in Europe. Yeah, I'm, it's just it's just it's crazy how these how these traditions made it around. And from what I understand, a lot of it, like the tree and the gifts and stuff, are were were like pagan celebrations. They were druid, like winter equinox things. And the church thought, well, we need a piece of that, and and brought these traditions over in you know into the Christian thing. So it's kind of interesting. The yeah, we, Egyptians yeah. and the Romans used to hang wreaths. Uh, to symbol victory back in the day. So this was long before the Christmas tradition, but they started using wreaths, hanging wreaths up. And of course, they hung each other a lot too, but that's a whole other <laughs> a different well, tradition noose, entirely. The noose is kind of like a wreath, I guess, I suppose. So, so. if someone were to ask you what it, what, it, what it means to you, what does Christmas actually mean to you? I think uh, I have a hard time 
disconnecting it from the start of the new year. And I think about, you know, intentionalities, looking, reflecting back, which I, as a therapist, I don't, it, there's, there's purpose in doing some of that, but more it's like optimism and looking forward with New Year's resolutions. And I think Christmas to me is a moment of reset and it is tied to the end of this year. And, um, you know, and I think that's a pretty live uh, sensation in the COVID era in, in America, because last year we, I think, completely lost Christmas. And this year it's still shaky, you know, with, right. with the new Comicron. Uh, and so, uh, you know, each Christmas is is a poignant reminder. Are we out of this? Have we come to the end of this? And so, but once again, it's reflecting back, but it's also anticipating going forward. Is there any part of what has happened with the epi with the pandemic and what have you? Um, and people have had to sort of be around the house and that sort of thing. And that the idea of uh, gatherings is is very difficult and tra and traveling is tough um but it may it could profoundly change how christmas is celebrated going on going forward in the future it seems to I, I you know I, I know this is anecdotal and i certainly don't want to fantasize or idealize um the experience that people had when they were confined into their own home with their nearest and dearest who are under the same roof because i know sometimes that's i just don't want to go to that place but still it's bad but for many many people i who i've spoken to there was something of a relief and even an enjoyment of being confined with their most intimates uh in their house i guess i get it that you know a bunch of kids around who are restless but i a lot of the people i talk to seem to be very uh content and did not have a horrible experience with the remain at home part of this. Right. And, and, and I think going forward, there's still some desire for that, I think, to be, you know, you know, with your village, with your right. people, with your tribe. We may have picked up a little bit of that. We may have added a little bit of that to our sort of com uh, communal thinking about the value of it, about staying, being together and being closer. Right. Well, you know, uh, this past couple of years, I've been, you know, in, in the, the speeches that I've given, one of the psychologists who I've cited, I think I've cited it on, on our, our podcast, is uh, uh, Susan Pinker, uh, the Canadian psychologist who studied longevity in, in certain places. And, and she concluded that it's, it's village life, that it is being around people with whom you feel safe, whose faces you recognize, and whether you're close to them intimate or not, you never have to feel like insecure. And I know that as a trauma specialist, that that's sort of the, 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 the essential summary. Who is in your life with whom you feel safe? And when circumstances say you kind of have to stick close to home with the people you, again, ideally, feel safe with, it can be a pleasant and rewarding experience. And I think a lot of people have felt that. I, you mentioned Canada. I know that in Canadian Christmas, if you're bad, Santa still uh, leaves you a present, but uh, sends along a, a polite note with it. <laughs> is that right? Like a a semi-stern rebuke. <laughs> That's as bad as it gets in Canada. You know, over in Europe, they're cutting off fingers. In Canada, hey, right. you know, don't do that anymore, eh? You That's know? right. Hey, you little hairball. <laughs> hey, you hoser. Be better. <laughs> hoser, there you go. Be yep. better, eh? Yeah, I won't yeah. come down your chimney then. <laughs> it's Canada. You've already got you've already got a fire in there. Like 
Exactly. Put out the fire for one night. It's rough to, to leave stuff for you. Sally and I watched, uh, after all this time, the Kurt Russell movie where he is Santa Claus. And oh, that man. was so well done about how they uh, depicted going around the world, the, his magical capacity, uh, which uh, I think uh, really fits well. I really liked that movie. It was really enjoyable. I like a lot of the stories and things and music and things that come up um, around the holidays. It's a great chance to hear how beautiful Karen Carpenter's voice was. Yeah. Because they play those things. I've talked about me and a bunch of friends going out Karening, Christmas Karening, where you just go to stores and you sing a song and then demand to see the manager. <laughs> the place. I never heard of that tradition. We're discussing I... that. A little bit of cider and just go from store to store. We don't like it. We're not wearing a mask. We don't want to. Christmas caroling. I'll be happy to accompany you if you want to do that again. I love the stories. I have a couple of things I, I try to watch every year, um, usually when the kids aren't around, because whatever it is I, I like, they generally don't. Uh, but I watch the um, Christmas Carol, the Charles Dickens, with yeah. uh, the Alistair Sim one, the 1951. Oh, the uh, a classic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I think it has the best Jacob Marley. I don't know who this actor was. And there are other ones, you know, there's a George C. Scott one and, and there's there are ones before the 1951 uh, one. But this one with Alistair Sims got the best, like, the scariest Jacob Marley guy in it. Wow. Now, the George C. Scott one has the best Ghost of Christmas Present. Huh. Um, because the Ghost of Christmas Present is a little bit harsher in the George C. Scott one, closer to how he is in the book when he's with Scrooge and, and Scrooge says his thing about what, you know, he keeps bringing up Scrooge's thing about, well, if they, if they want to die, let them do so and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> and the ghost of Christmas present said, you would do well to learn what the surplus is and where it is. Mm. And who are you to decide who lives and dies was the basic uh, thing that he said. And you might find out yourself that you're not half as fit to be before God as these people that you, you know, whose lives mean nothing to you. And it's, it's just, I think that's one of the great sort of novels, kind of holiday novels. It's a, a very clear lesson. It's practically morality play like in its message. It's, yeah. it's not, you don't have to infer anything from it. it it's, it's, straight, it's straight ahead stuff. Um, but it's just, just a really good story. And I think a, a, a very good reminder that you know, what we're asked to do, and people with the Christian tradition understand that that you know Jesus's message as he grew older and got our attention was to say uh, love each other, mm -hmm. which is like I think the hugest, the biggest political statement ever made by anybody ever. <laughs> right, uh, you know you get reminded you know the the, the 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 triple words of Christianity are faith, hope, and love. And uh, when we die and go off to the promised kingdom, as Jesus says, we will no longer need faith. It will be realized. We will no longer need hope. That's irrelevant. And love is what is permanent and eternal. And there's not a tradition, whether ethically secular or deeply religious across any tradition that doesn't acknowledge that, that that's the case, that love is, yeah. you know, you know, it's we've it's a great time to to reflect on that sort of thing if you ha if people will take the time and and can stand aside from the chaos and some of the stuff that occurs 
during the holidays. You, you know, you get out of the mall and you go home and, you know, to, to just sit with your family and just think a little bit about how much better it would be if everybody could move, say, in the next year, like three inches closer to somebody they don't like. Right. Like, That's right. you know, three inches closer to somebody with whom they disagree. Just move. If you, everybody, everybody moved just a little bit there to the right or left, whichever direction you want to call it, mm -hmm. north, south, whatever. Um, just that much progress could, would be amazing. I mean, multiplied over 300 million people. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, it's what's vexing all of us is that we don't know how to strategically encourage that across a wide population. You know, I mean, people, people shun and avoid even close kin related family members because of this, because they can't talk to each other. I don't, I don't know what it takes. Certainly there have been other times, other places, other societies, other uh, moments in history where the divisions were so entrenched that it took something almost catastrophic to, to break it. I don't know what that would be. You know, as, as I think back, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps the Great Depression was the equalizer. Perhaps World right. War Two was the equalizer. Right. Nine um, Eleven for a short moment, really, but uh, it's it's just become horrendous now. Horrendous. Well, which is the crazy thing about the thing about the pandemic is, rather than bringing us together in a spirit of cooperation, folks managed to use that thing to pry us apart. That's right. That's right. And and now it's I I somebody was. I was at a little Christmas gathering at the radio station today and somebody was talking um, about that Purdue had said that um, all their basketball players have had their boosters. And so they're ready to go. And the, you know, they're not going to have to, as far as they know, unless things get worse elsewhere, they're not going to have to change their schedule or miss any games. And they're having a great season, which is neither here nor there, but they're having a great season. And so they just, you know, kind of just, casually said our guys are all uh, uh boosted and they got complaints people telling them quit stop don't don't mix politics and college basketball and why do you have to get political about it and they're they, they came right back and they responded they said we, we just we don't consider this political right that's right uh, you, well, you know, know in other words because because everything's done in short clipped phrases you, you have to say oh don't get political okay wait wait time out what is it about this that's political to you? What, what, what are you saying? Oh, they're aligning themselves with the vaccination people. Okay, right. uh, is, that a, is that a bad thing? I mean, you know, uh, it's, it, it's, it's so distressing and disturbing. No wonder people want to, once again, retreat from the madness. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it would be great to hear somebody in some position of leadership or authority here, you know, take a complaint from somebody and just go, well, what's it to you? <laughs> you know what well, I mean? The, the department of what's it to you? That would go along with the department of we don't have time for that, which is another department I think they need to have where, where certain questions about stuff that have nothing to do with anything that are just like infighting and stuff. They, they go to this department for something else. You know, like they, they keep, they, they keep asking this press, uh, the president's press person things about what the previous president has said. Mm -hmm. And she keeps saying, we don't, con we don't think about him a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. They didn't want to take that for an answer, but that's basically the answer. And, and, you know, it just takes time for her to have to answer these questions. And it's pretty obvious that they're not, 
patterning themselves after the previous administration or doing things because the previous administration didn't or do or did do certain things. You know, they're not basing their direction, it would appear, on what has happened already. You know, um, Sally, when Sally and I talk, Sally, Sally repeats the phrase, which is this disease, you can't tell me what to do. There's a lot of you can't tell me what to do. Right, well, right. I guess in some circumstances, you may have that freedom. But that's way overused. Yes, you can be told what to do. You know, well, you yeah. can't, you can't speed or you pay a price. You can't do this and you pay a price. It's like, where do we get to this? It's, it's really, it's really a very childish um, uh, perspective, you know, like an adolescent perspective, you can't tell me what to do. Well, actually, yeah, why? Because I'm your parent, I'm your mother, I'm your father, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I often, I often really am sadly bemused when I see these um, uh, fervent, uh, you know, military type people, you know, um, who were like storming the Capitol or whatever, and they were veterans. And I'm like, did you have that attitude back in basic training? I mean, when you were going through your training, did you say to the, uh, to the DI, you can't tell me what to do? I mean, how did that go? How would that go? You know what I mean? Why, why are right. you now free from that? Is there no authority that you recognize that can legitimately tell you what to do? You can question it in a rebellious way. I mean, I get, I get that. Sometimes, you know, sometimes there is uh, a mutiny that's valid because the leader is off the wall, but how frequent is that? Good Lord. Yeah, you, get, you get told what to do your whole life. Exactly. I, I don't, and you get vaccinated a lot. Exactly. Aren't there about 10 shots you end up getting as a kid before you, you get to do anything? Totally. And if you're going to travel to places, there's always been, there have always been places in the world that you have to have shots to go to. Although that's kind of a criterion for me to not go. But, that, but it's not <laughs> because I think anybody's trying to put a, a, a chip in me or anything. I, you know, I would just, if, if there's so much of smallpox somewhere that you uh -huh. need a shot to visit uh, i'll i'll look at pictures of it i'm i'm happy with <laughs> photographs it's, it's, it's just just Plus, fine with me this whole uh, in in insertion of a chip i, I it's, it's so insert a chip i mean what are you gonna what are you gonna do with that chip i mean you, what are you gonna make me do you're just gonna like watch what i do you you're watching what i do now i i'm just not alarmed by that stuff i just decided long ago i've been watched scouted you know, um, at a micro level, my whole life, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what that makes me, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, you're, you. I think a person can, can be a little bit deluded in thinking they're important enough for the government to watch all the time. That's right. I exactly. can't imagine why they would care what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, if they called up every once in a while and said, you know, maybe a little less bacon would be good for you, <laughs> or you know, just something useful. Right, exactly. I, I can see that, but other, but just, just watching me in case I'm a communist or something doesn't seem like, and also those conspiracy theories in the, in the storyline they lay out, the government is always smarter and more efficient than it, and it ever is, mm -hmm. you know, being, being that it's a human based activity and organization, there are going to be some difficulties and some mistakes and some ego driven and fear driven decisions made and things like that. Um, but the conspiracy theories always make the government sound like it can do stuff you can't imagine. They you can know, barely, they can barely collect taxes. Right. And, then, and they're going to watch 300 million people to see how they move around. Well, we all know, you know, my, uh, someone in my family one time was, was, was grousing appropriately about how frustrating it is in individual states that state legislators who are renowned to be even dumber than national politicians. <laughs>
And, and they go, well, why would this person know anything about any of these technical issues? You know, they ran a hardware store in a rural town. What, you know, how are they uh, being asked to define this? I mean, it's ridiculous. Most of those guys are empty suits anyway. Yeah, there are some. <laughs> there, there are some. There are some guys who, uh, guys right now, you see these uh, things on C-SPAN and what have you. And some of these guys remind me of uh, from uh, Animal House. Uh, <laughs> Niedermeyer, yes. you know that guy? Right, yeah, yeah. Who eventually got shot by his own troops in Vietnam. At the end, when it says what the, how their future went, that was his thing. And, well, then well, Senator, and then Senator Blutarski. Yeah, some of these guys just remind me of Niedermeyer from, from Caddyshack. The kind, of, the kind of guys that if the Dalai Lama met them, he'd go, man, that guy needs a poke in the nose. That's just... <laughs> Animal that's Classic. Just the worst. Well, while we're on movies and, and, and we were, we started out with, with uh, kind of holiday stuff. And I, I, I want to mention my other favorite movie every year and, and I love it. And the kids think it's the stupidest thing they've ever, they've ever seen, but I can't get enough of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. Oh, interesting. I have not seen that one. Oh man. Mr. Dude. Magoo's. Okay. It's, there, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a bit of a musical. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. But it's Jim Backus. Mr. Magoo, uh, and he's the Magoo is Scrooge. Well, back as a legend, as a legendary voice. Yeah. Are these the things that must happen? Yeah. <laughs> can they be changed? He's, <laughs> he's really good. I've always loved that one. Uh, there are. Uh, uh, it takes some liberties, uh, you know, with the uh, with the original the narrative. Decades. Putting the insertion of songs for one thing is one of them. That's. <laughs> I always, I, I fell over when, years ago when Disney said they were doing the Hunchback, an, anim, an animated Hunchback of Notre Dame. And of course, you know, they took some liberties like the cartoon Hunchback never spilled any boiling oil on soldiers <laughs> at the foot of the chapel there. And, uh, well, it's Disney. It was a little more happy. Yeah, of course. Then, it's the, then the actual, I wish I were a man of stone like thee. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the songs were, but yeah. how can you Disneyize that? You can't. It's a hunchback of Notre Dame. For the, to begin with, dude's a hunchback. Like, how much fun which, are you going to have with that? Which means that any any creative person who works at Disney has to start there. Okay, here's this uh, really tortured narrative. How do we? How can we Disneyfy it? Which is why some of those guys left and ended up in places like Warner Brothers, where they wrote all of these sort of uh, these occasional, these adult, these innuendos and stuff in there where adults, you can watch those old Warner Brothers cartoons and get stuff out of them without right. being a little kid. Yep. They, and they were tired of they were tired of doing happy, fluffy things. And they, the, that's why they went. Some of those guys went on and uh, went on to Warner Brothers and, and were doing that. But the, uh, it's a highly, highly uh recommended thing particularly if you want your kids to look on uh, at you with disgust um <laughs> it's a great thing i can't get enough of that I'm, i'll take whatever kind of attention i can get and the disgust is fine that's okay that's okay they can stare away um uh, the there's a, a legion of movies that have never been able to stand those hallmark things where there's always two people that don't like each other to begin with, but eventually with the help they of somebody who might be Santa, they get back together. And, uh, uh, you know, poor, that poor, uh, the, the, 
Bridget, uh, Meredith Baxter Burney. She was on the first movie. Then it became The Girl from Full House. They're just change these, you know, love victims for these Hallmark movies. And in the holidays, they're really, they're really feeling their oats at, at Hallmark. And it's all of these movies. And they look like they must have cost a good tens of dollars went into these movies, you know, to do it. And they have these really B, C, C minus list actors. I have, I have, if you go to the Hallmark movie channel, there are hundreds and hundreds of full-length movies with basically the same formula. Some disgruntled woman is in the city, winds up being coerced to go to the country where she meets someone who's a real SOB, and within uh, half an hour, they're in love and she leaves the city. I mean, it's it's the same. But you know what? It's making people feel happy. It's making I guess people. So. Feel, you know, I mean, whatever works works for people and doesn't make them antisocial in some way. That's I right. Guess. That's right. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever been murdered in a, in a Hallmark movie. You know, I've heard I heard an interesting view of uh, of love songs years ago from Saint Frank Zappa, who was talking about love songs. And he was saying the problem with love songs and, and by extension, movies and books that are these love stories is that they create fantasies for people that they'll never come close to. Mm -hmm. never come close to I mean, you watch these shows and i'm not saying that if somebody decided to put me on a sitcom and i had anything to do with the choice of wife that that actress would be someone who would be way out of my league normally uh you know but that's what they do but i don't blame anybody for that uh yeah. well yeah. who do you want to who do you want to play your wife so we get to pretend to like make out and stuff. Yeah, who who do you want? I don't know. Just give me somebody as average and ugly as me. No, you're gonna ask her. That's right. You're gonna, you're gonna want something very different from that. Uh, uh, one of my one of my old friends from comedy was Dom Irera, and he used to do this bit. He used to do this where he was mocking. He said, you know, uh, you know, I went to get a haircut, and they have on the wall. Uh, these pictures of the different styles of haircut you could get. And so he says, so I'm imagining some guy going in and he goes, I'd like that one. And then you want the, the bartender, I mean, the uh, the barber to go, what, excuse me, that is a male model. You, <laughs> you are a piece of meat. You look like a hamburger. So I'll do what I can. But I'm a barber. I'm not a magician. That's right. Exactly. Damn this it, is Jim, a I'm a barber, not a magician. <laughs> the first haircut cut that I went to get at a fancy hairdoing place, a salon, as opposed to a barber shop, uh -huh. and these roffler cut places had opened up, and they were, you know, it was a transition from the traditional barber shop into these, you know, fussier shops. And the, the barber that we were, were going to before we switched, he was he was making you know, homophobic remarks about this other guy who owned this style thing, and and you know, of course. <laughs> We're thinking, well, gee, the worst thing you could say about a hairdresser is that they're gay, I guess, right? Because that's a yeah. rare thing. Um, and so my mom sent me to this guy with a picture of Ryan O'Neill from Love Story. <laughs> and said she wanted to tell the guy I wanted my hair to look like that. I, could, I was so embarrassed. I was was he kind? Was he kind to you? He was. He was. Because, hell, there was, you know, a good $5 in it for him, you know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. so, so he was kind. I don't know if I would have been as kind as as he was. Cause like, she wants you to do what? Mm -hmm. Just we, let's not cut your hair at all and just go back to your mom and say this is it. This is what you've done. I don't know. <laughs> that was a bad thing, but I think that she was getting me ready for a a, a Christmas party of some kind. Uh huh. 
So, and I guess there's a, I guess there's a lot of going to be a lot less of that still um, right now. I, I noticed that, you know, people are really back and forth right now with, with this, with this variant and, and the Omicron thing. And uh, well, the, the, the wisdom as of the moment du jour is that uh, it's spreading like wildfire but it is not nearly as lethal or serious. And if you're vaccinated, um, you really are not likely uh, to, to go down the pit. Uh, but uh, if you're not vaccinated, you know, you're still gonna be filling up hospitals. And so, yeah, it's more of the same. And I, I think, you know, with the winter, it's gonna be like that for a couple of months. And maybe in the spring, we will have another, like last year, oh, we can all come out and play now. Right, but we can, we can continue to take decent, lessons collectively from this situation because it's it, it becomes you know even more obvious than it should have been already that given the problems that we have collectively the only way out of them is through and the only way through them is together somehow that's right we got to find the glue the we have to figure that out somehow exactly yeah and, and you know i i've always felt like there have been certain times in american history over the last you know several generations where it's like one epic voice kind of would talk over the top of the culture persuasively whether it was john kennedy or dwight eisenhower or you know uh, ronald reagan i think did that um you know uh walter cronkite and, and it sort of penetrated the the cultural zeitgeist I don't think we have any voices now that that they cover small little tribal segments of people, but but no one who kind of Martin Luther King, I think, did it, you know? Yeah, well, it, it was Talking Heads had a different opportunity when there were three channels of television everywhere. Right. And that, you know, and that was it. And there are so many Talking Heads now. It's a virtual clown car. Of, oh, it is. <laughs> how many more well, people? Know, I don't I don't recognize any of them when they come on. No, no, Glenn Sparks, you know, my, my, my colleague with refrigerator, we talk about this all the time that it's like, it, you know, in, the, in this media culture, it is an impossibility uh, to come together, to have unity. And so all the more reason to kind of retreat into your tribe and make your own little village healthy uh, and hope that it has some contagion with the people who are near you. I mean, but, you know, as, as long as we're still doing judgment and hate, it ain't going to go well. So I don't know. Yeah, so so do we get through all of this? Are I think so. Are we destroying the planet? Are we are we going away? Well, we're doing that. I mean, you know, I'm sure you were like you had the same eye popping uh, 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 reaction to uh, a 300 mile an hour tornado going 200 miles across, you know, a, a state, uh, just obliterating. Uh, town after town and block after block. I remember the thing that jumped out at me was they were talking to a rescuer and the, the you know, in good with good intentions, he says, well, for, for, for stepping into this, are you knocking on doors? And the guy said, there are no doors. I mean, it was that awful, you know what I mean? And so well, you're it's right. Kentucky, so that means tens of dollars <laughs> worth of damage. Of, exactly. <laughs> That's so awesome. curtains, yeah, that was That's uh, just mean. Yeah, that you're going to hear from those people. That's just mean. <laughs> So, yeah, but, you know, you know, I, I keep asking the same question you're asking, and that is, will it take an event, an episode, or something to shake us out and say, you know, because so many of the people on multiple sides of this claim to be people of faith in Christianity. Uh, excuse me, um, did you not get the memo? I mean, do you not know what it's about? Love and forgiveness and humility? I mean, have you have you completely just just 
block that stuff out? I mean, you know, judgment and hate. I, yeah, that's that could be the only way that could possibly reach somebody. You and, know, and I mean, it would, it would help if people quit fouling the name of Christians, like telling somebody a Christian makes them back off of you a couple of steps because right. of people like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. When my basic response to anybody who tells me their spiritual theories or how they feel spiritually, I say, that's awesome. Please don't kill me. That's all <laughs> I really. Whatever part of it that says it's okay for you to knock me off. Uh, if you're not following that, I'm happy. P practice whatever you like. I'm reading an amazing book that's been fantastic. It's written by two Western psychologists, and it's called Buddha's Brain. And it basically unpacks and delves into the neuroscience and psychology that really was uh, is elemental in Buddhist practice. And one of the things they talk about is how we misunderstand karma. Karma to the American mind is, you know, some guy does you wrong, smashes your car, and then they drive down the road and their car gets smashed. And you go, yes, karma. Right. Well, that's not what karma is. Karma is someone has done something to you forgiveness of them and praying for them not to be hurt is true authentic karma which uh, sounds an awful lot like jesus so yeah let's yeah. get back to the jesus thing you know be, be careful telling people to be like that guy you better be careful <laughs> bad right. things happen to those who that's right. that's talk right. about talk about that stuff but i that's really if i were to have any kind of hope uh, about anything i i you know personally i i own enough stuff um, yeah, I have enough things. I live on a little piece of property that's enough for me. In fact, too much because I'm getting up and down the stairs is getting to be a drag. But you and I are two peas in a pod about that. Materialistically, I'm fine. I mean, you're, I have I have every basic thing needed, and and you know I I, I don't really need. I have no sense of accumulation or desire for accumulation or or any of that. Yes, my I, my hope for for everybody, for mankind, for all of us collectively, is just. Um, incremental improvement. Bingo. That's all. If everybody could slide a little bit in the direction of somebody else, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that would be, it, it could be a, a hugely helpful and would save a lot of trouble and probably save a bunch of lives as well. Well, you and I are going to commit ourselves to that personally, and I'm going to begin by grooming my hair better. <laughs> because I think it's hard to be considered an authority when you look like I do right now. I'm going to be uh, trying to um, keep as much of mine as possible. <laughs> it's making an escape. I'm Let's do this again there. next week and talk about New Year's. Yeah, we'll talk about the New Year, what we're looking, what we're looking forward to, and um, maybe I'll I'll put some predictions together for the New Year, and then we can see if they actually they Absolutely. actually happen. Yes. That'd be great. Dr. Will, please, please have a Merry Christmas. You too, you and Janet, and, uh, and uh, have a great time uh, with the holiday, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you, sir. See you, bud.